Hello, and welcome to First Christian Church again. For those of you who are guests, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. We're going to spend some time looking at Scripture today in an unusual, different format for us. I'd invite you to take a Bible, please, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. In either auditorium today, there are people uh, who can make Bibles available to you. In the West Auditorium, they're right in the pew rack. In the East Auditorium, there's some folk who are moving around the room. We'd be glad to give one to you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd invite you to take that home as our gift to you. We're going to be working from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It's a passage of scripture that is quite familiar to those of us who've been involved in any sort of calling of missionaries and pe sending people overseas away from their homeland, if you will, to tell the story of Jesus to other people. The reason I'm coming to you via video today is there's been a situation developed in my own family back in British Columbia that warrants me being gone uh, this weekend. So I'm going to start the sermon. We're doing it a little bit different, but by virtue of video, we can do that. So um, I'm going to start the sermon, and then Pastor VJ and Pastor Josh, they're both going to come behind me and uh, kind of wrap things up for me. But I'll at least get us started, and we'll go from there, all right? So... I grew up in a church that was extremely missions-minded. Uh, when I say missions-minded, I remember that there were these events where missionaries from all around the world would come, and they'd have these parades. On a, we'd do church on a Sunday night, and they'd have these parades where, you know, maybe 15 or 20 different couples from around the world would come, and they'd wear the garb of the, the, the land where they were working, and they'd say hello to us, you know, one after the other in a language that none of us ever understood. And it was great emphasis. They'd carry the flags of those nations and so forth. And there was a great emphasis in that congregation on the work of God being carried from North America to the rest of the world. Missions interest me, but I never really wanted to be a missionary. Not at all. Because as a kid growing up in the 60s, and particularly in Australia, uh, we, there were one or two options when it came to missions work. You either had to go to New Guinea, or you might get called to a communist country. And I didn't want to go to either. New Guinea, all I, could, all I heard was people had to wear pith helmets, and you had to canoe through rivers, and there'd be snakes hanging out of trees, and it just sounded absolutely horrifying to me. And besides, there were cannibals there, even in the 60s. Who would want to go and tell those people about Jesus in those settings? Or if, if you were got, got called by God to go work in a communist country, I mean, this is, remember, remember this is the day when, when we were still afraid of nukes and kids were taught to hide under their desks and, and they did all kinds of those sorts of stuff, things. And if you went to a communist country, man, you'd be, you'd be persecuted and people died for being Christians in those places. And, who wanted to go there? So I, my understanding of missions work was you were incredibly brave and you went far away and you might never get to come home again. Well, in the middle of that, you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, supposed to be proclaimed around the world. That's the call of all Christians, to make certain that every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every person gets to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. It comes out of Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Would you look at it with me right now, please? It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest. Pray, in other words. Pray to God. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I will tell you, I couldn't pray that prayer when I was a kid because what if it meant me going? Uh, on Easter Sunday night, when I was 12 years old, I got, I got, I got, you could say I got hit up the side of the head by a God moment. Uh, it went this way. The pastor had on Easter Sunday erected this white cross that was covered in chicken wire and then he'd put napkins inside all the holes of those, that chicken wire. And down in front of the, the, the cross was a tray of daffodils. And on, on Easter Sunday night, he was talking about how we give our lives to Christ and we die to Christ and we rise to new life. And in an effort to um, experience that personally for all of us as individuals, we, the whole church was to line up and come and one by one take a daffodil out of that tray. And symbolically, as we put the daffodil in the cross, we were giving our lives to Jesus Christ. And we were saying, God, you can do with us whatever you want because we're dying to you and we're rising to new life. And this white cross, by the end of the service, turns this lovely, beautiful daffodil yellow. I remember, 12 years old, plain as day, standing in line and suddenly I had this, I don't know, this gut feeling. I've later come to understand that that was the word of God to me right then. Yeah, a 12-year-old kid, God was saying something to me. When you put that daffodil on the cross, you're going to go to Russia and you're going to be a missionary there. And I remember saying, there is no way I'm ever going to go to Russia. And frankly, from that point on, I was in the line and you couldn't get out of the line. And if I got out of the line, what would mom and dad say about, well, I wasn't willing to give my life to Jesus and so forth. So I put the daffodil in and, oh, sure, I was a Christian and I, you know, did all that. The stuff that teenage kids do as Christians and fair enough, but... There was no way I was ever going to be in ministry where it might take me overseas, that would take me to Russia. I was going to, I decided I was going to be a musician. <laughs> Once you know, 19 years of age, a band comes to me and says, hey, we'd like you to play keyboards for us. We're going on a world tour. I joined the band. We went to Europe. And I remember about six weeks after joining the band, I mean, great musicians. And... Uh, Six weeks after joining the band, we're in Great Britain, and the leader of the group comes and says, hey, guess what? We're going to Russia. <laughs> I couldn't get away for it for all the tea in China, could I? God was going to say, if you're going to go somewhere and be used by me, you're going to, you may say you weren't going to be involved in ministry, but if you uh, say you're going to do something altogether, God's work in your life is still going to be found. When I read this passage of scripture, frankly, I see me all over for those early years of ministry for me and how Leslie and I together went to all sorts of countries. I see the heart of God for his people very clearly. Verse 36 says that when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. That word compassion, in the Greek there, it's um, quite powerful. It's, it's, the word is splunknon. It really means that really deep down inside his belly, down in his gut, Jesus would look out over the crowds and would be moved with compassion. He would have this sense of great empathy and concern for them. And coming out of that is the reason why he came from heaven to earth and why people today are called to go 
from their earth home to the places around the world where God will use them. I'm glad that we're part of a church that participates that in that in a powerful way. And we send our people. We've got troops on the ground, if you will. We've got long-term vocational missionaries. We send people on short-term trips. And uh, I appreciate the time being with you today. Pastor BJ and Pastor Josh are going to carry it from here. Well, good morning, everyone. We're excited to spend time together with you in Matthew 9. Uh, and if you're a guest with us, welcome. Uh, my name is Josh Koskinen, and I serve as the Family Ministries Pastor here at First Christian. And uh, welcome to all those in the East Auditorium as well. I remember when I was 12 years old, I went, to, uh, I went on a mission trip for the first time. I went with my dad to Honduras, to the mountains near Tegucigalpa. And uh, one night, we went into the city, and I was exposed to things that I had never seen before. And from then on, my paradigm shifted completely, and I just, it made me view the world in, uh, through a different lens. And I'm B.J. Leonard. I'm the missions pastor here at the church, and I've been here for about seven years. And uh, for me, my understanding of global missions didn't begin until actually uh, a little bit later in the game. My senior year of college, I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to uh, Panama. My uh, lovely girlfriend at the time, Mary, said, hey, you want, yeah. you want to go to... Who's now his wife. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, just to clarify to that. Yeah. If you can see this in East Auditorium, I'm married. So yeah. anyway, yeah. So we, we, we later got married a few years later and have been married for, for 10 years now. But so we had a chance to go and work with a group of people way, way, way up in the mountains um, called the Guaymi people. And uh, this is a group of people that until a few years before we got there had, had yet uh, to be reached by the message of Jesus. And so for me, uh, my heart had always really been for, for the inner city, for, for, uh, for kids and families uh, living in the hood. And uh, what's interesting is that um, I was able to see by going to Panama that whether you are in rural uh, Midwest, uh, U.S. Or, or whether you're in the inner city or whether you're around the world, that people are people and uh, people who are far from Christ uh, need to be reached with that message. And so that was really a trajectory setting uh, experience for me. And so we're excited to spend time in Matthew 9 with you. And Wayne talked a little bit about the compassion element that when Jesus went into the city, he saw them and he had compassion on them. And so really missions finds its motivation in the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost, we know that um, since he was our example, we also should seek uh, to, to save the lost. We, we, we can't save them, we can't die on the cross for them, but we can take the message of Jesus who did uh, to those people. And so uh, that is the reason that we do missions. It all comes back to uh, missions was important to Jesus, so it should be important to us who are his followers. And so let's read together Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. And it says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And what I want us to see in that first is, Jesus went into the crowd, and he saw that they were harassed and helpless. And the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and uh, in the Greek, for harassed and helpless, this was very strong. This meant, basically meant they were destroyed. They were damaged. They were lost, like sheep without a shepherd. And I think for us to fully put ourselves into the position of walking through our community and seeing others the way that Jesus sees them, uh, we need to realize that uh, 
we were once harassed and helpless, Mm -hmm. that we were once sheep without a shepherd. Before we gave our life to Christ, we were lost. And uh, it's so important for us to realize that. And actually, uh, when I was about 18 months ago, my wife and I traveled to the Democratic Republic of Congo, and we were adopting our son. And as we were headed to the airport to come back to the United States, uh, I just you know, was watching out the window. And as we were driving, there was just so much garbage in the streets. And we were driving basically right past the slums of the DRC. And uh, I just was so taken aback by it. I had never seen anything like that. And I just was thinking, man, like this is what Hervé was living in, basically. And then I thought to myself, like I just felt God say, this is, this was your setting. This was your situation that once... Once you were helpless, and then I brought you into my family, and I adopted you, and I saved you from that. I became your shepherd. And so we need to know that we were harassed and helpless, and Jesus looked at us, and he had compassion on us, and then we found a shepherd. And so really, we see that from from the very beginning of Scripture that God uh, designed us as people to have a leader, to to have a shepherd. Uh, We see early on in the Bible that God appointed people like Moses and Joshua and, and, and the prophets in order to lead the people because he knew that if they don't have a shepherd, if, if people don't have someone to impart truth to them and, and to lead them and protect them and care for them, then they'll go astray. And that's what Jesus is seeing as he's looking out at the crowds. He's seeing an, an entire group of people who they didn't have a leader. They, they didn't have someone to, to lead them to God. And so they were wandering hopelessly uh, towards death. And so this is what broke uh, Jesus' heart, is, is the fact that these people were just, they were wandering without anyone to protect them or lead them. So we're going to continue reading here in, uh, in verse 37 where it says this, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so the first thing we see here is that the harvest is plentiful. What Jesus is saying is that there are unreached people all around you. Now, I think for us sometimes here in the U.S., it's, it's easy for us to miss this fact because uh, for most of us, we are pretty accustomed to, to uh, the church. You may have driven past three or four churches uh, to get here. If you went to your house, you might be able to pull, I don't know what, eight, ten Bibles from around your house. You know, some of us collect more than others. Uh, but... Uh, uh, the Bible is, is pretty prevalent for us. It's pretty accessible. The message of Jesus is pretty accessible for us. But one of the things we have to remember is that there are people all around the world who don't have a Bible. They don't even have a Bible in their language. The Bible has never been translated into the language that they know. A missionary has never come to their village or, or even come to their region. A church has never been started. And so for us, we have to, we have to become aware um, of, of the fact that there, that there are many, many, many people who are far from Christ. You know, maybe you had an opportunity last weekend to come and participate in uh, the experience that we had out here in the lobby, and there were several different booths that were available. And in one of them, one, one booth in particular, that really struck me, and I mean, I was, I was the guy organizing it, but the, one, one of the booths that really struck me was uh, if you went over to the table and you, you saw uh, seven large jars of sand, and uh, each grain of sand represents somebody in our world who is far from Christ. Somebody who's never even had an opportunity to choose to follow Christ or not. They, they are the unreached. They're people uh, who, who've never heard. Over two billion people in our world are, are in that situation. 
I think sometimes with that, we think that the, all of those people who are unreached, who haven't heard of the gospel, that we need to hop on a plane and go to Kenya or Papua New Guinea or some other country. Uh, but those grains of sand are right here in Decatur, yeah. some of them in our own families. Yeah, I mean, so you, they're, they're right here. They're right here. I mean, I've had a number of opportunities uh, to speak here in our community at Club 305 and, and other places. And, and no joke, there are kids and adults right here in our community that if you say Jesus, they say, Jesus who? Who's Jesus? So you don't have to get on a plane and go around the world. The mission field, the harvest is ripe right here in front of us. But it's easy for us to become insulated to that fact. It's, it's easy for us to miss it. And so I think, I think for us, we have, to, we have to wake up. A wake up moment that I had several years ago was when Pastor Wayne and I had a chance to travel uh, through Tanzania. And uh, some of you may know uh, Gary and Judy Woods. They, they are missionaries that serve there. And Gary was with us a few weeks ago uh, here on stage. But I remember bouncing around in the land cruiser with him as, as we're heading out through the bush. And he told us that at that time there were over 60 uh, people groups, not people, but people groups, entire tribes with their own language and their own culture and their own beliefs that had, uh, that had not yet been reached with the message of the gospel. 60 people groups. And so as we drove out uh, through, through the bush, I had, I had to, to believe that, that as I was looking out the window, um, as we drove past villages and, and down the path, as I, as I was looking out the window, I was looking into the eyes and the lives of children and men and women who'd never even heard of Jesus. They'd never even been given the opportunity to say, I wanna follow Jesus or not. And so for us, it's, it's easy for us to become insulated to these facts because, I mean, you guys know this, there are so many things fighting for our attention. There are messages coming in all the time, bombarding us and, and taking priority in our lives. And so we have to, we have to get outside of, of all of those messages. We have to cut through those distractions. I mean, the truth is, the truth is right now, there are millions of people who are living and dying apart from Christ. But unless we intentionally seek out that information, we don't know about that. It's easier for us to pay attention to, to who, what, what was it? April, the baby giraffe, or what, no. what was that giraffe that was born April, a few years ago? April was the mom giraffe. Oh, April was the mom, yeah. sorry. And then sponsored You can by tell Toys I was paying attention, right? Yeah. She had a baby, babies are us. It was pretty brilliant, anyway. Uh, okay, anyway, yeah. so. <laughs> Yeah, so my point is this. My point is this, is that we, we have to be willing to get our eyes up and see. Uh, Jesus talked about the harvest in John chapter four, and he told his disciples, get your eyes up and see the harvest that is ripe uh, right around you. For, for the farmers in the room, Jesus used the word, the harvest is, is white, which means you have to get out there and harvest it fast because it's about to fall to the ground and be wasted. And so that's, that's, that's what we're called to do. We, we are called uh, to, to go and, and be a part of this harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And as a, as a part of that, I think that it's very easy for us to get consumed in, hey, somebody else is going to go out into the harvest, like somebody else is going to go to Kenya or Cuba or Cincinnati, or somebody else is going to be involved in the community missions opportunities we have here. But uh, we have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. If we've given our life to Jesus Christ, then we are the few. Yep. And actually, I had a funny thing happen to me about a year and a half ago where uh, I had just gotten back from Cuba and I was driving to Starbucks to go get some coffee. 
and I just got back and hey, you, we have we have a cafe here in the building. I know. Okay, yeah, right. yeah just, just, just checking. Mosaic no great coffee. Uh... Just, but it probably wasn't open, so I was driving to Starbucks. And uh, as you know, that turn into the parking lot is the worst turn in all of Decatur. Uh, I was driving, and somebody was waiting for the other car to leave, and I rear-ended that person. And I was like, man, I just got back from this great mission trip, and I was kind of bummed out about it. And actually, like a week later, I came to the church, and Pastor Robert was getting out of his car the same time I was getting out of mine, and he's like, hey, nice car, Josh, what happened? You know, and I was like, well, I, I rear-ended somebody at Starbucks, and... Uh, you know, he's like, I was involved in like kind of an accident the other day. Uh, so I was about to turn out of the Starbucks parking lot, but somebody was waiting for me and then they were rear-ended. And I was like, man, that's me. That was, we timed it out. So I sent Pastor Robert my bill for that. And uh, no, I didn't. But the funny story with that is after the accident happened, I got to talking with the person that I ran into and we were just talking about life a little bit. I told her I was a pastor, and we went in and got coffee while we were waiting for the police. But about a year later, <laughs> about a year later, I got a call from the insurance company, and they said, we have an odd request. Somebody has called, and they want your phone number because they want you to officiate their wedding. And it was the woman that I ran into. Yeah, and you did that wedding yesterday, yeah, right? Yeah, I did that wedding yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, and I preached in between the wedding and the reception yeah, here. Yeah, crazy, so, yeah. But, okay, yeah. But what I, I say all that because we need to have the eyes that we are the workers, mm -hmm. that God is waiting uh, for us and creating these opportunities for us to be the hands and feet of Christ. And it might happen rear-ending somebody, and it might happen in a conversation at the grocery store or a coffee shop, but we are the few. Yeah, and I mean, so, so for us... Our choices are this. We can either go and be a part of, of the mission by us going, or we can send others to go. We can, we can come behind and support and encourage others who are going, or we can do nothing. We can sit on the sidelines. And honestly, scripture tells us that that is disobedience. And so our choice is to go and be a part of the mission or to send and be a part of the mission. There's, there's no room for us to stay unengaged. There's, there's no extra margin. God is calling all of us to be a part of his work. God is calling all of us to this harvest because the workers are few. And so I think, I think for us sometimes, you know, we, we think about the, the sheer numbers of people who are unreached. We look at the world around us and we say, man, the world is broken and, and, and there's so many things that are wrong and there's so many people who are far from Christ. And, you know, with, with numbers like two billion people and just spinning around our heads, it can almost be overwhelming. But we need to be encouraged by this, that we are not working alone that the success of the harvest is not just upon our shoulders. It's not contingent upon whether we uh, succeed or not. That God is working, that his spirit is going. Uh, God sent his Holy Spirit into the world so that we might join with the work of the spirit and, and bring in that message to, to others around the world. And so there are great things happening. Transformation is taking place. I told you about uh, that trip that Pastor Wayne and I had in Tanzania. And, uh, you know, you should know that not only were we meeting uh, people and, and groups of people that were unreached, but we also had a firsthand opportunity to see that there are lives that are being changed and transformed. Uh, one guy in particular named Lulu, who we met. Uh, Lulu grew up in one of those, one of those uh, villages, one of those people groups that was far from Christ. And not only was he far from Christ in proximity, 
but he grew up in a family where his father was the chief witch doctor for that entire region. And so he grew up in, in a family of great darkness and evil. Well, through, through a friendship of someone who came to his village and shared the message of Jesus, he responded to that message and he became a follower of Christ. Now in doing so, he had to leave his family. He was, he was essentially excommunicated from his family, from his village, from his father. And yet he took on the mission of taking that message to others. And now Lulu is a part of a, a group of other people who are planting churches right now in Tanzania. And just in, in the last three or four years, that number of unreached people groups, which was over 60, is now down to around 30. They've cut that number in half. I mean, that's exciting. Lives are being changed. Transformation is taking place. And the transformation isn't just for the people who are receiving the message of Jesus. The transformation is for those who carry the message. You know, one of my favorite uh, parts of being the, the uh, missions pastor here is that I get to lead mission trips. And so I have this amazing opportunity to watch people who sign up to go on these trips. And, you know, there's anxiety and there's sacrifice. And, and you know, people have to, to, to do a lot in order to be a part of this trip. And what's cool is that I get to watch people's lives change along the way. I mean, we've had people that essentially have come to Christ on a mission trip. They said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to go help with this project. Or I'm going to go and do this. I'm not really real keen on the whole Jesus thing, but, you know, I'll go because the work is good. And by the end, they're taking communion and they're praying and they're, you know, leading the team. I mean, it's amazing to see how God changes people's lives as they serve. And so we want to give you an opportunity to get involved and serve. And so uh, we have a cool thing uh, set up right now um, called, uh, called Serve Now. And so what you can do is you can go onto the church website, uh, firstdecator.org backslash serve now. And uh, we have this incredible opportunity uh, to serve in our community and here in our church. And so we found these five serving opportunities uh, that are ready for people to jump into them right now. And so you don't have to wait till the end of the summer you can get involved uh, literally uh, this week or in, in the coming days. And so we would encourage you uh, to do that. And uh, if you don't want to go online, uh, you aren't able to, uh, you can always stop by the Welcome Center and you can fill out one of these little informational cards and uh, this will uh, collect the right information so that you can get involved in, uh, in serving here in the life of our church. Yeah, and these are opportunities that we didn't just come up with for the sake of this message. These are legitimate needs in our congregation and ways that you can enter into the harvest, enter into the ministry of First Christian Church for the glory of God in Decatur, and we want you to be a part of it. Because, you know, as the application in Matthew 9, 35 through 39 is, we need to view the world at how Jesus views the world, and we also need to take responsibility and say, hey, we are the few. We are the workers, so let's put on our work gloves, let's yep. strap on our boots, and you know, God may wake you up by rear-ending somebody, and that's how it <laughs> yeah. starts, uh, but you are the few, and God will use any opportunity that you, in, that you are in if you have the eyes to see it. Mm -hmm. And so missions, community or global, is not an option, but it is a responsibility for us. Yes. And so Wayne is going to close our time together in a video, in a video and I just ask you to turn your attention to the screens. So this weekend is an important weekend in the life of our church. We've been calling this our Global Missions Initiative. Uh, we're trying to raise $50,000 in one weekend. Here's the purpose of the, the offering that we're taking in just a few minutes. When we send short-term mission teams to Cuba or to Kenya, 
the people who go, they fund their own trips and they pay for their travel or they have somebody help them, but that's their responsibility to find how they're going to raise the airfare to get there. But then once they get there to either Kenya or Cuba, there are responsibilities on the ground that the church takes care of. We like provide construction material for what we're doing in Kenya or in Cuba, and we provide medicines when we're involved in medical teams. And we've had a fund that we've used for that, uh, for those endeavors and that support of those teams. We've used it over the last few years, and it's getting pretty short. So this is an appropriate time for us to say, let's rebuild that fund for these, tr these groups that are going on these trips so that they've got the resources they need once they go. Th once they go, they give up their, they give up their, um, their vacation time, they give up some of their own resources, and we want to come behind that. But this is uh, it's just part of who we are as a congregation. When it says here in verse 38 of Matthew 9, to ask the Lord of the harvest, then that's a prayer. So we're, I want to pray with you right now. And as we pray, uh, we're going to pray on two, two things. One, that God will speak to your heart about what money to, and how, what, how to help fund this uh, Global Missions Initiative. And then secondly, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray that people from our congregation will, one, get involved in both short-term missions, and are there more people from our congregation who could be involved in long-term vocational ministry overseas? I remember visiting with um, Lynn and Dory Kazir about this some 15 years or so ago. Lynn had, uh, his company had downsized, he'd lost his job, and he had this great education from the University of Illinois in, in um, how to manage farms and how to manage construction projects and things like, things like that. And he had all, years of experience in that and was unsettled. In, in, although he had a new job, he was just unsettled. I remember walking down the hallway right by the choir room, again, some 15 years or so ago, and coming across the... Lynn and Dory, they're standing there in the hallway, and I said, guys, how, how are you doing? And this sort of story spilled out. And I simply said, guys, could it be providential that God is working in your lives to do something completely different? I mean, Lynn, you've got all this wonderful experience in, in, in agriculture and construction. And Dory, you've got, she, had, she, she has a degree from the seminary and down in St. Louis, and you've got this wonderful theological background that you've used here in central Illinois. But it, could it be possible that the coming, the way in which you guys met years ago and the way in which your life has gone, is it possible that perhaps God could take that wonderful practical stuff and the theological work that you have together that you have together combined and could God use it overseas in a really spectacular way where both those needs are so clearly seen in countries around the world their eyes lit up and remember Dory saying you know we, Wayne we've been talking about this and you know it was within just a couple of years after some training and some fundraising off they went to Kenya they are there today, and they form the backbone of the work that we do over there. So, when we pray here, we're going to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field, both short-term people. Maybe there are people here today who say, man, I'd like to get involved in a short-term mission trip. I'd like to go to Cuba. I'd like to go to Kenya. These are the skill sets that I can take there on a week-long mission or a two-week-long mission. Let's pray about that, and then let's also pray that uh, together we'll be able to fund what God's calling us to do in missions work around the world. Would you pray with me, please?
God, in these next few minutes, our congregation is going to come together to join our resources so that we can support those who go overseas on our behalf. These resources, God, particularly today, are for those who go on short-term mission trips to provide them with the supplies they need, whether it be the construction materials or the medical, uh, the medicines and the bandages and all the stuff that's involved in medical teams. And God, we're asking you to help us to come together and that you would speak to each of us as households and couples and individuals to know how to respond to this need. Give us great courage to step into some sacrificial giving today. But then, Lord, beyond that, we do pray. We're asking you, the Lord of the harvest, to send out more workers into your harvest field, both short-term mission endeavors, and Lord, perhaps there's some people here today who would consider being engaged in a long-term vocational ministry. They could take their skill sets and use them for your sake in settings around the world where you would be you would work in them and through them to powerful ways, all for your glory, Lord, for in both endeavors, both the offering and this idea of sending more workers, Lord, is for your glory, that the story and the name of Jesus Christ would be spread across this planet, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So thanks for listening to a sermon today that's been a little bit different. Thanks for participating in the life and the story of our congregation as we are engaged in missions endeavors around the world. God bless you today. All right, well, we have an opportunity now uh, to participate in, uh, in a special offering. And uh, so the offering is gonna be uh, received here in just a second. And so if you wanna be a part of this uh, global mission project, uh, as, as Pastor Wayne said, you can use one of these envelopes that you should uh, have in your program. Otherwise, if you don't have one in your program, there should be one in the seat uh, somewhere around there close to you here in the West as well as in the East. And uh, so uh, you can put your gift in here. And uh, if, uh, if you're planning to give online, we've, uh, we've already made preparations there. And so you can designate your gift, whether it's uh, online or out at the kiosk or through text, you can designate that as Global Project 2017. And so uh, we're, we're already uh, prepared for that. And uh, we look forward to uh, the way in which we are uh, going to be able to give uh, now. And if you're wondering about the general offering, uh, we will be receiving the general offering at the same time. And so any, uh, any gift that is not uh, put in one of these envelopes or not designated for uh, Global Project 2017 will, uh, will be received in the general offering and used uh, to continue the work of God's kingdom and, and this church here at home. And so uh, for those who are giving to uh, the Global Mission Project or to the general offering, we wanna thank you for your generosity and the way that you are partnering uh, with God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. The worship team is going to come now and uh, lead us in a song that reminds us of the unreached people in our world. May the Lord bless you as you give.